0: We'll be and welcome to Mandatory Redistribution Party. Today's ep is about how care workers are cooler than, among other things, the millionaire inventor of the snuggie. It's about the importance of invention to mythologising the wealthy and justifying their wealth, in contrast to how socially valuable work is devalued. I also do a deep dive into the fetid swamp of the care home industry in this country that took me all weekend to write, which is why I just finished it. Uh, I actually just finished it. Um, which is why it's 3am on release day as I record this introduction. And no, dear listener, that is probably not healthy. But you know what is healthy? This is the 48th episode of Mando's. Some absolute graft from myself and Sean has gone into this. And some graft from you in uh, consuming it. Thank you. We're very proud of our little poddy and we bloody love you for listening to it. If you've done every app, fair do's. Big respect. Uh, If you support us on Patreon or gave us a good review on iTunes, even fairer dues, even bigger respect. We thought, as we approach our 50th ep, it would be cool to live stream it on Twitch, which will happen at 8pm next Friday, the 22nd of May. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook for the details of that. This can be a good time. Okay, on with the ep. Let's hope by the end the title makes sense. Have you ever invented anything?
1: I've probably invented games.
0: I think maybe we talk
1: about games being invented. Yeah. Have I invented a device? Like an invention is normally Mm. like a gadget or a device.
0: Yeah, a doodad.
1: I've only really managed to um, sort of MacGyver things, which is not quite an invention. It's just the smallest kind of Rube Goldberg (laughs) machine where something just is doing a task it wasn't really designed for, but I wouldn't call that an invention. Yeah. Propping a window open with a book isn't an invention, is it? (laughs) Sticking a folded up beer mat that you took from the pub to replace a bit of the plastic that your window shutting clasp is supposed to use mm. isn't an invention. It's just mild resourcefulness.
0: <laughs>
1: in our house, this wasn't my doing, but but my housemates, um, we had a pulley system to...
0: Oh, the trash wheel- pulley system. I've seen this. Yeah. Yeah, it allowed yeah, us to yeah. take
1: our recycling down to the council's changed how our bins work now but Episode it used to one be just sort back. of a, yeah right it's sort of it was a box for a while yeah and then we could stick it in the pulley from the kitchen and then winch it down. We're above another business so it's we're not just like one floor up we're quite a tall floor up. Yeah. And then we could winch it down and it would like just be full of all our plastics and cardboard and then we could just put that When we leave the house, if the bin is full, it should be down. And then it is the job of whoever is departing to transfer the goods. Yeah,
0: that's smart.
1: It was smart up until the storms hit, I think.
0: (laughs) I think that line can be used for so many things. (laughs) Yeah, it was smart up until the storms
1: took the bag up into the air and meant that from my... From my bedroom window, the little bit of roof that extends beyond my window, there was just porridge oats and the packaging that previously contained the porridge oats for quite a while. And the pigeons were having a field day.
0: Ah, uh, pigeons. Pigeons. Yeah. <laughs> the, um,. <laughs> the, um... It's like a waiter for trash. Mm. Sure, the dumbwaiter, the use of the word dumb there is like, it's because you don't want to see your servants. So you still have servants because they're down in wherever the little lift thing that carries the food or tea or whatever goes to. You still obviously uh-huh. have servants, but you can't, you don't have to interact with them. So you don't have to think about having servants. I guess it makes it seem like it's just being done by a machine, like the replicators from Star Trek or something.
1: Yeah, this thing's just come from nowhere and now I'll, consumer.
0: Yeah. So instead of having someone that is socialized into not talking because you'll scowl at them.
1: I mean bleak. everything like everything that makes a good servant is about doing everything you can to not accidentally inspire empathy in your <laughs> masters. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You must hide any shadow of emotion you have. Have you read Remains of the Day? No. Um Remains of the Day is a novel by Kazuo Ishiguro. Yeah. It's about the British servant class, essentially.
0: Ah,
1: Oh, it's, it's, it's a great book. It's sort of, it's looking at when the aristocracy is kind of being phased out in favour of business owners. Yes. And so it's quite a complicated book, really. But it's about a servant who is the servant of an aristocrat who was trying to do things to mollify the material conditions of post- Versailles right. Germans. okay. And he believes that by being a good servant, he'll help, like, avert fascism. By <laughs> being a good servant? Because he needs to make... This master is overseeing, like, diplomatic events to try and mollify those and, and create, send some aid over. Yeah. So that we're not continuing to punish the Germans after World War I. And also he's terrified of Mosley getting bigger. And so in the end, he ends up ignoring his own father's death in order to be a good servant, because by showing his own grief during these events, it might disrupt them and therefore fascism might take over. It's an an incredible... Remains of the Day is a real top tier. It it won the Nobel Prize, I think.
0: That sounds fantastic. Strong
1: recommendation.
0: I was going to reference Samuel Pepys' diaries, which Mm -hmm. have like... Him, there's numerous examples in them of him just being an absolute dick to servants. Do you want to hear some? Yeah, yeah, yeah. December the 1st, 1660, This morning, observing some things to be laid up not as they should be by the girl I took a broom and basted her till she cried extremely which made me vexed but before I went out, I left her appeased Left her appeased So basically, he got angry that the servant hadn't put things in some specific way he wanted smacked her with a broom she cried, which annoyed him her crying annoyed him (laughs) Yeah. Uh, and then he appeased her god knows what the details of that another classic uh, february 19th 1665 at supper hearing by accident of my maids letting in a roguing scotch woman to help them to wash and scour in our house i fell out mightily and made my wife to the disturbance of the house and neighbors beat our girl and then we shut her down in the cellar and there she lay all night i mean i know we're talking
1: about like the obvious class divide of, like, these servants. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But but can we really imagine that Samuel Pepys would ever turn off this rage around anyone else? Do you really imagine he's capable of being, like, truly genial to, like, anyone if this is how he treats humans?
0: I'm sure he was absolutely perfectly courteous to other people in his class, but uh, servants are, like, completely dehumanised. We sort of think of labour in the 1600s as, like, people in fields, but... With enclosure and stuff, more and more people were becoming servants because basically you get somewhere to live and you're insulated a bit from the effects of inflation and things like that that were happening. So loads of poor people become servants. The way that having servants is romanticised and this idea of like, oh, you know, there were people that were nice to the servants or whatever.
1: But it's the same as the nice like plantation owners. It's like, I don't deny that maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's stopping someone being kind if they want to be. But given that the incentive structure is just, you know, you can behave however you like, Mm -hmm. you've got to assume that people mostly lived in completely intolerable conditions. But the thing I never understand about... So we talk about dehumanisation. Yeah, yeah. And dehumanisation covers, like, all manner of, like, laying the ground for atrocities and absolutely (laughs) atrocious behaviour towards your fellow human beings. But I never understand why we couch it in terms of, well, we treated them like they weren't a human, we treated them like they were an animal. Mm. Because I see animals almost every day... Mm
0: and i almost never insult or slap them yeah, yeah it's baffling isn't it you know a shortcut to make a villain in a film is to have them be mean to an animal be mean to like a yeah. dog and like oh treat them like an animal but actually if someone kicked a dog and you put that video online that's probably going to get more outrage than i don't know the police shooting someone yeah
1: the kicking the dog tropes, really like it's so widespread because it was like a lazy trope in westerns mm-hmm, yeah three bad mother effers were coming in through the swing doors of the saloon and one of them would like shoot the bartender yeah. and one of them would like knock over a table where people are playing cards and then the third one oh what does what does he do um, boots
0: was, a hound into a chandelier
1: yeah it pushes people past like a moral event horizon that when the protagonist kills them no one twinges and goes oh, was murder really necessary there yes it was he kicked a dog <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing I found from like, like hovering in a lot of vegan and vegetarian forums. Mm. They are probably one of the most tooth and nail politicized Mm. like Facebook forum genres to be in. Yeah, yeah. Because there's a lot of vegans on the far right oh yeah big time like you know we go go back to the Nazis if we want to go just the big obvious examples yeah. eco-fascism's were, like, a thing massively into animal rights mm. but it's so odd when we then combine that with the question about why dehumanisation a lot of fascists love non-human organisms yes they think they deserve better rights than, than the lower classes or their like their favourite race to denigrate yeah
0: they're going to elevate a German shepherd above an uh, ethnic minority they hate
1: yeah, yeah. so it's not about like dehumanization permits violence and ill treatment it's just hatred it's not like oh my obligations are gone it's like i just hate this thing i'm going to hurt the things i don't like and for me the things i don't like are my fellow human beings
0: yeah yeah it's hatred and making the thing unlike you dehumanization yeah it's inaccurate it's making a thing unlike you and basically saying this is not deserving of my empathy this dog yeah. can have my empathy, but this person can't. Yeah, I've always felt I feel like almost mental. the
1: Uncanny Valley feeling they must get of being like, this person looks a lot like I do, and they act a lot like I do, and they almost display feelings like I do. But I've decided they're not me, and that very close but not quite comparison makes me angry the moment <laughs> I think about them, which I couldn't feel when I'm contemplating maybe a rabbit, a giraffe, or a flea. <laughs> Like, if I told a giraffe to like press my trousers and yeah. tidy them up, and they've done it in a way that isn't really to my satisfaction.
0: Because yeah, they're I a I think giraffe. it's a lot
1: harder to fly into a Samuel Pete style rage. Mm. Fair play that they did as many of the steps that they did.
0: <laughs>
1: and yet, something seems to really bring up the iron when like another human manages to do that. Yeah. Ugh. Dehumanization almost doesn't get it right it's that it's because they're human that seems to inspire i don't know exactly what I'm, i feel like i'm closing in on something yeah i don't know exactly what but it's because they're human beings that makes people so angry what animal would you want as a servant
0: scorpion why would you want a scorpion as a servant um i just think they look real fucking cool man
1: right so it's more like this: what you'd have is like you're familiar yeah you just think they look cool yeah, yeah on your shoulder yeah and then you'd say like hey stingy past the my business card yeah
0: yeah get a brew on i'd quite like to see a scorpion yeah. click a kettle on with its tail it could do that
1: and it could probably pull the bag
0: out <laughs> careful not to activate its poison mode
1: yeah because it probably needs to use its tail to fish around yeah, yeah. stir it a little bit yeah. and then pull the bag out yeah but make sure that the tail's like the muscle memory doesn't just sting the bag
0: <laughs> actually just replace the scorpion's tail with a, a little teaspoon yeah or a pipette yes yeah, yeah. And, then, yeah, and then the scorpion can pip the tea and uh, perch upon my shoulder and, and <laughs> feed yeah. me tea.
1: You don't need to sip anymore. Yeah,
0: the scorpion will do it for me. You'd
1: simply lay down a root using your arm between the table surface and your mouth yeah. and allow the scorpion just to extract little bits. And then it might not need to go up to your shoulder. It can probably shoot it from a distance yeah. into your mouth. Oh,
0: cool, that really impress people.
1: You just click and open your mouth.
0: Oh, oh lovely. Yeah, just the right amount. Yeah, a scorpion's pipette. Yeah, worth. and the scorpion has so it has a pipette, and then on its back is where the mug goes, and you can put like different things in it. So maybe you need like maybe some Red Bull, Yazoo. Where's this?
1: How big's this scorpion? I imagine it can fit one mug on its back. A you small seem to mug, give it a, a whole small vending mug. machine. No,
0: there? no, no, no. You replace you. Re- you have to replace it. You have to. So you're, you're saying equip with the tail.
1: The tail up, mm. and maybe the two claws raised. Mm-hmm. That provides probably enough surface area to function as a cup holder. Yeah, because those things will keep the mug in. Yeah, during any rumbles or rattles.
0: Yeah, yeah. or we can give them a little. And it could probably suck.
1: hold. I think maybe in its claws there could be like two sweeteners.
0: Yes,
1: one sweetener and one anti-sweetener, salt. depending which way you want to go. <laughs> yes, salt. <laughs> a cube of sugar and a cube of salt.
0: <laughs> yeah, sometimes the scorpion gets a little bit annoyed at you and salts salts yeah. the tea, and then you have to apologise. Always does it.
1: April first, <laughs> no, someone's given the scorpion no, salt. Scorpion fly into a mad Samuel Pepys race <laughs> <laughs> Lock my
0: scorpion and then I in I the basement. The
1: scorpion after he insulted my brew
0: <laughs> Scorpion Butler would probably be a dreadful idea. Mm. But what I want to talk about is people who've made millions and millions of pounds out of dreadful ideas. So, Big Mouth Billy Bass. Oh, the Sopranos fish. Do you know the Queen has one of these?
1: (laughs) My nan had one for a while. I think it was a joke gift from from one of my cousins Mm -hmm. to my nan. She's a bit too old to be the target demographic.
0: Yeah. Well, your nan's got one. The Queen's got one in Balmoral Castle that she displays proudly on a grand piano.
1: Do you think it's still going?
0: oh yeah, I bet she has a right laugh with it. They tried to make a whole line of them. They tried to make a deer, which reminds me of Evil Dead 2, when the deer starts laughing at Ash, Mm. a bear, but they didn't sell as well.
1: Have you heard what the big mouth Billy Bass sounds like when the battery's running down?
0: Absolutely horrifying.
1: It's amazing. But
0: I'm also like, I like this. (laughs)
1: This yeah, is its I true like, form. I like this more. Yeah. This was the real product all along.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. The, the long game was to get these into people's houses and have them transform into their final form.
0: <laughs> well, its final form will be the final form of almost anything, which is landfill. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so, but they're still going. If you go to a landfill at night and close your eyes, you can hear seagulls and Billy Bass. Other trash, pet rock absolute genius grift. Someone put rocks, put like a pebble inside a box that said pet rock on it and it had like a 32-page instruction manual on how to care for your rock and sold it and made millions.
1: Yeah, why not? It reminds me of all manner of like seaside tat and stuff where Yeah. I remember like pouring colored sand into a bowl in like any combination I saw fit. Yeah. Someone must have patented that and that became an idea. Magic 8-Balls? Magic 8-Balls are good. Magic 8-Balls <laughs> are good. The problem with a magic 8-Ball is for someone who can't be bothered just to roll a dice and assign the values of the dice yes. to whatever options they
0: need. Well, it's a weird object because it was originally, it was invented by this guy, Albert C. Carter, uh, who's the son of, like, a clairvoyant. Mm-hmm. And his mum used to, you know, she was an absolute grifter and had, like, um, some sort of mechanical... No one... Not one of the real Claire Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She wasn't, well, some was verifiable. And she might've been a real one, she might've been legit. Um, and he was but trying to copy her true magic, but she had some sort of primitive magic eight ball, you know, predictive system that she had and a Ouija board type thing, God knows. He made a crystal ball. So it was originally, it was like the same thing, but it was like a crystal ball. And then he sold it as a promotional thing for a billiards company. And that's how it became the eight ball.
1: That answers my question, which is, what is the historical link between pool and clairvoyance? Yeah,
0: just... And there we go. Just I don't actually know which way around it is. I don't know if uh, this guy went into the build company and went, I could make this, um, which I kind of want it to be, that because that's weirder. Or just uh, the, someone from the pool company was like, this is already a ball.
1: They'd just been sent around to look at the spherical objects that could be pool branded, <laughs> and then went... People are always going to need to know what's going to happen later that day. <laughs> <laughs> this is an evergreen product.
0: <laughs> Another one, the Slank It. Yeah, mm,
1: the slanket is functional but tacky. Yeah. The Slank kit's problem is not that it's useless, it's that it speaks to someone who's still in their 40s but Harry Potter's their favourite book.
0: That's exactly what it is. You need the sleeves in the blanket in order to yeah. flick the pages. of, And it
1: has to be the colour of your favourite Hogwarts house. Yeah,
0: bungalow. Do you know there's Slanket Wars? So there's the Slanket that's like the original guy, Gary Clegg. Okay. He invented this.
1: <laughs> Gary Clegg's such a horrible Gary name. Clegg's
0: a horrible name. But Gary Clegg invented the Slanket. Um, and then the, the much more successful and later kind of ripoff is the Snuggie. Ah, okay. The Snuggie, $500 million. Mm-hmm. I think it is the, the company. The Snuggie company is like absolutely fucking loaded. The amount of money in our economy that you can make from inventing shite mm. and like
1: do you know the one way to see this is to um you ever just gone on to kickstarter yeah. and then just gone search by what's about to run out first <laughs> and it just shows you a random array of stuff and, and what is what is funded and what is not funded mm. is just based on the quality of the youtube video yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of quite boring but very functional things that people are like I'm not excited enough to put my money to this. But then you've got things which obviously don't quite work or don't quite make sense. You've just got someone who goes, oh, I'm going to... Genuinely, one I found on Kickstarter Mm. was someone who was going to make kind of an Alexa, but it only controls your household security. And it does so by reading your mind. I mean... And you're like, just unlock the garage. Just open all the windows. But there was no explanation of, you know, mind control is not real. How do you do that? (laughs) don't care people just like that sounds great i want it or have you heard about the air umbrella no so it's an umbrella that doesn't use material you're basically holding a pole and at the top it's shooting out air in all directions hard enough and fast enough that water won't get past because it's just being pushed to the sides now two obvious problems are the amount of energy it would use to be constantly bursting air off the sides of of like a cylinder fast enough that no water could penetrate means that you need to be chucking a lot of energy at this thing constantly. It will be hot in your hands. (laughs) And then the other is, so imagine if you're like just slightly below average height and you're using this, right, Mm -hmm. in any kind of normal urban setting. Where's that water going? Not dripping off the edge of material onto the floor. You are shooting it directly into the faces (laughs) of everyone around you. If you're stood behind them, water is... (laughs) <laughs> a, a, a pneumatic spray is taking a half meter's area of water and shooting it into your face while you're trying to get somewhere what? they were backed by 825 backers pledging once 102,000 dollars over 100,000 dollars oh my god for an umbrella that just shoots air around you and i'm sure there are far far worse offenders on that
0: are you aware of the licky brush <laughs> no so the licky brush is a it was funded on Kickstarter. you can buy it, it i think it raised like fifty thousand dollars which was its target and now, now you can just buy it online so the licky brush is a brush as, as you would imagine that you attach to good start what are you going to attach it to oh your tongue your own tongue uh you're supposed to brush your cat like your lick you lick your cat's hair oh uh, no. using the licky brush Like a cat.
1: Is that bundled with the (laughs) snuggie?
0: No, but it should be. They'll make even more millions. Yeah, absolutely horrific. And I can't decide what is worse. What like what is a worse aspect of capitalism? The sort of democratized Kickstarter thing, where you're almost like a shareholder, but who gets nothing back. <laughs> mm. Or the venture capital thing where you take your licky brush and you do a presentation to six dudes in suits who decide like, yes, this will make us, here's, here's, a, here's a big loan. You know, we'll, yeah. we'll A buy. lot of
1: the venture capital stuff, especially in tech, is like rolling out a product with the hopes that there's a plausible monetization strategy that just will appear yeah. at some yeah, point. Yeah. Like Twitter's never been profitable. Twitter has accidentally almost become like a public service that someone's running as a philanthropist <laughs> because it has never turned a profit for anyone. No.
0: So the reason I'm talking about inventors and inventing things is just the inventor is almost like the ideal capitalist in, in how capitalists are thought of. You know, like Elon Musk, in, instead of being seen as some guy who was already loaded and took his like, South African blood diamonds to just like weasel his way into tech or whatever. He's seen as like some inventor who come who comes up with stuff. Like that's seen as um, it's like if you create one idea and then even if it takes the labor of hundreds of thousands to make it a reality to produce the thing, mm-hmm. like you almost deserve your millions because you invented the thing. There's kind of two layers of it. Of like one, it's bullshit. Most billionaires didn't invent anything. They either inherited it or just kind of dominated a market and made a monopoly on something.
1: We could also investigate the people who are lauded as like inventor billionaires. Yeah. When you're an inventor billionaire, you're not just extracting someone's labour power, you're also like extracting people's inventor power. Yes, because yes. You, you, the inventor, you may have like written down an idea like Elon Musk's underground tube systems, or let's shoot a car to space. Yeah. But you are then outsourcing that to engineers. Hmm. The engineers who work out how that will actually happen, are they credited as inventors? No. (laughs) Part of their job is everything they make, they were just doing engineering. The inventor is the person who wrote down sort of an idea on a napkin and then sent it down to the R&D department.
0: Yeah. And it's also connected to the idea of like bosses deserving their wealth so everything has mm. to be attributed to them, but really what they do is they own things. They may tell other people to invent stuff. That does not actually take that much. Like I think Elon Musk is probably quite thick. Like I don't think he's a smart person. that we have a lot of evidence of this. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> um,
1: yeah, without any engineering knowledge, if me or you were a billionaire, mm. we could go, oh, I want a tube that is suction and I could put uh, a Game Boy in mm. it and then the Game Boy goes a mile underground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Can that be done? Probably. I don't know how to do it. But if I had a billion pounds, I could just hire someone to be like, they've made that into a reality. And I could be like, I have invented the take the Game Boy a mile underground. (laughs) I'm an inventor. But what have I done? I've just moved money around and wrote the name of a gadget. Yeah,
0: and then made all the money from owning the company. And and like, yeah. you know, just all you did was tell someone, I want a scorpion that perpets tea into my mouth. Mm. You didn't build it. Yeah,
1: you are saying, make this happen. Yeah, you- and then they make it happen.
0: Yeah. So there's that level of like, it's bullshit. These people don't actually invent things. That's a trick to think of these super rich, successful people as it as inventors, because it attributes some unique skill or talent to them that's actually bullshit. But then when you Mm -hmm. look at people who you can say, okay, they did invent something, you know, like someone invented the magic eight ball, someone invented the singing bass, someone invented a brush with which you can lick your cat. Yeah, they, they they did. But are these good like are these good things? These things we want. The fact that you can make millions and millions having invented something like that, and that that is valued and rewarded labour when so much labour that, for example, care work, is, is completely undervalued.
1: Yeah, they'll never be given the same amount of cultural capital that we give to Alan Sugar. No. No. I think we struggle with our mindset regarding people whose labour doesn't create physical commodities. Mm. We struggle to be like, oh, you've done something, but I can't touch it or hold it in my hands. You've kept someone alive for an additional week, but I can't put that on eBay, can I? So I don't know if you've made I don't anything. even
0: think it's physical commodities because so much of the economy, like people who do make millions are like finance. They don't fucking make anything. But I'm not talking they about do, they move numbers around. But yeah, and but, they that, but like... your
1: average person on the street hates bankers. Yes, that's true. So I, I, I'm not talking about what the economy rewards. I just mean mm. for your average person, they will applaud invention because, look, they made this. Can you imagine? I couldn't make this but Mm. they might be able to believe that they could keep someone alive for a week because they don't know that it requires like most of a decade of nursing training. that's true.
0: I think we can split it up. We can say like, what is rewarded financially? Because I was trying, I was getting at inventors because it's like the overlap of those two things of like, they're kind of elevated as like, these are the guys, these are the... You know, they'll mask the bullshit of the finance guys by pretending that capitalism rewards these inventors. Yeah, and that's Um, they're
1: basically bankers who have managed to capture the public imagination because they have a trinket. Yeah, If banking at the end sort of made this weird orb, people (laughs) would probably feel a lot more kindly to them. Because it's like, well, they actually have the money orb, so they probably deserve to be it. They probably got it from some sort of Aztec
0: tomb. Like you can see an iPad or an iPhone or whatever, so Steve Jobs is easier to elevate because his thing that he's associated with is physical yeah, rather than all the finance behind it. You
1: imagine someone from the banking sector coming out in like a turtleneck and being like, look what I've made, and then it's a very complicated series of graphs with lines going <laughs> up and down. You're like, wow, you made that. The stock market 7, eight HD.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think you're on something with stuff you can see because Jeff Bezos... Is seen as like yeah okay he's the amazon guy but what's amazon seen as what's amazon known for well they're known for like online retail right mm-hmm. but the vast majority of their money is from cloud computing like most of netflix and you know even though netflix is a competitor to amazon prime like most of netflix stuff is held on amazon's cloud computers
1: right amazon is trying to expand its image beyond boxes yeah, so like in America, this hasn't hit here. I don't know why. Mm. Probably because we don't have um, stoops, we don't have porches. Yeah, yeah. But Amazon colluded with the police to push up how much of a problem porch thefts were, so that Amazon could sell those little um, doorbell cameras. Right. That was like a service that they they made that was like adjacent to delivery. Then they've made their online services. You know, they're about to release their first video game. What? Amazon Amazon are going to be a new video game maker.
0: When you said Amazon are making a video game, I for some reason imagined it was a video game about working for Amazon yeah like I have been one of their fuck yeah (laughs) (laughs) very good Um, yeah it's already been done Amazon sorry all the video big video game companies are fucked anyway
1: absolutely but like it shows how much the video game companies are fucked that Amazon is like this is an environment where we can work and make the level of profits we used
0: to (laughs) Yes, it is a sign of how
1: bad certain industries are that Amazon's like we feel at home here.
0: <laughs>
1: Amazon's a bit different because obviously they don't make a product, but they they have a sort of physical form because their box containing the things you want.
0: Yeah, and that's the website. And you're like, the, the website is a thing, but like the work of a delivery person, which is actually very important.
1: Let's say Amazon gets Monopoly. It'll almost be like yep. a private form of infrastructure where the yes. logistics and movement of loads of basic goods is now controlled by this one guy who's got the yacht a size of Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But yeah. there's loads of infrastructure that obviously we take for granted. Like, we're never yeah. going to have, like, a mascot-style figurehead of water filtration or <laughs> s- or sewage works or yeah. people who just clean up the streets after a Saturday night in a big city. We're never going to have acknowledgement for them, and there's going to be no, like, cheerleader for them. There's never going to be, like, the new conference where someone goes... Here's how we're getting the shit out (laughs) of your water and back into your taps.
0: (laughs) Until someone... Can present those things. Someone, says someone can take sewage and pretend they invented it. You know, like yeah. Uber have didn't it, invent fucking taxis. Unquote,
1: invented taxis. Yeah,
0: they invented a monopoly. Like Amazon didn't invent selling shit to other people and sending it through the mail. Like yeah. these people insert themselves where there's already a thing. So, like, yeah, you've already got taxis. Uber goes. They insert themselves as, yeah. as like middlemen. Oh, and, and then let's leech not- off, and that's the invention, right?
1: Well, the invention. So the only thing that is an invention is the way that they run their business model. They have an insane amount of startup capital so that they're allowed to lose money for most of a decade. They occur right next to their competitors, undercut them. Their competitor goes out of business and then they put their prices up to a reasonable one where they can start making profits. That's how Uber Hmm. I think Uber never managed to turn it around, but they were copying Starbucks yeah. who definitely did that. Yeah. Starbucks had such wide coverage that mm. not only were they hurting the local businesses, which was their intention, <laughs> yeah. they were yeah, yeah. cannibalizing customers from each other. That's how close they were situated Fuck. to each other. And so by the end, Starbucks is now just coffee. Starbucks means cafe.
0: So you know my problem with Starbucks is like you go in and you order, but they give you your coffee in like a cup. And I just feel like that could be something else. That could be like, maybe some sort of little scorpion oh stingy yeah a little scorpion like maybe they have a pipette for a tail and maybe they just kind of you know no one needs to call my name because the scorpion knows who I am
1: see you're there sort of like dreaming about it wistfully but I go in Mm. and I feel so entitled to it that the moment I don't get a scorpion I just fly into a rage and start hitting them with a broom (laughs) (laughs) but don't worry I eventually appeased them (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: On the 5th of May 2020, our flag-shagging managed democracy took Italy's bloody crown. The United Kingdom had suffered more deaths from coronavirus than any other country in Europe. Smashing through that bleak milestone like our clown Prime Minister smashing through that stack of Union Jackboxes in his JCB. Why is our death rate so high? You might ask, given how much of a head start we had on Italy. Long term, complicated. Short term. Because we did a half-assed semi-lockdown weeks later than we should have while our government, egged on by their bootlicking guard dogs in the press, entertained the notion of herd immunity. AKA, taking it on the chin. AKA, murdering thousands of people for the economy. We, dear listener, are of course the herd, not the people suggesting this. Moo. Say it with me, moo. Wherever you are right now, moo. Don't be shy. Then, when we did get out of the herd immunity phase, because the NHS had fuck-all hospital beds after years of cuts, we opened a few of those beds up by sending thousands of people from the hospitals to even less prepared care homes without any requirement to test these people for the plague. On April 30th, under a week before we snatched the Italian crown of death, Boris Johnson did his first press conference after he'd been briefly taken out by the virus he was happy for us to herd immunity ourselves into the dirt with. Johnson stood at the podium, looking like the cheapest pork you can bolt by on the dark web, mechanically reclaimed and shoved into a suit by a mad butcher. His complexion and demeanour, that of the lad in a zombie movie who's been bitten but has yet to tell the other survivors. The gases emitting from the rotting pork that make up Boris Johnson, emitted from his lips in the following form We've so far succeeded in the first and most important task we set ourselves as a nation to avoid the tragedy that engulfed other parts of the world. This, surprising given it was coming from the flesh of a pink, pink hog, was bullshit. But Johnson is an advanced and prolific bullshitter. He's also able to bullshit by omission. That's why he didn't say much about care homes. Probs because so many people were dying in care homes you'd think they were being run by esteemed medical professional Harold Shipman. I apologize for bringing up Shippers, it is uncharacteristic for this particular podcast to bring up a prolific serial killer, but I do so because as we are outraged and horrified by the actions of one individual murdering bastard, we should be more so by the social murder perpetrated by Johnson and the class he represents. People's lives have been cut short by their political decisions. In that 30th of April speech, Johnson claimed the UK had avoided the tragedy that engulfed other parts of the world. But considering what's happened in care homes, and what was happening when he said that, considering the frontline workers who've gone without protective equipment, and still are, considering the number of people who have died, I'm not sure what tragedy has been avoided maybe he means the thousands more deaths that would have resulted from his own initial herd immunity policy. Now, I don't have precise data for care home deaths, but as far as I can find out, it was at least 4,000 when Johnson announced this success, success this avoided tragedy. The death rate in care homes at the point of that speech was like 200% higher than it was at the start of March. Alleged haver and Secretary of State for Health and Social Care Matt Hancock claimed that care homes had been a top priority right from the start. Given how fucked this situation is, we can assume that his top priority was keeping care home deaths off the official stats for as long as possible. Way back in the herd immunity days, the government were talking about cocooning or shielding the vulnerable, including people in care homes. They'd let the rest of us get ronered up, but care homes would become islands in a sea of acceptable death. Acceptable death. If that was the plan, Hancock's top priority quote seems to suggest this, then care home residents and the workers who care for them would have been protected as early as possible. We weren't testing, tracking or tracing early on because we were doing herd immunity, and you don't need that for herd immunity. But if you're doing herd immunity, you've got to look after the vulnerable. The protection you need for the vulnerable wasn't there. It's still not there now, even when the policy was herd even when it was different than now. Care homes needed testing, workers needed PPE. Where the fuck was it? If only we could harness the power of clapping to turn back time to January and create a decent plan that wouldn't mean thousands dying early. Now as much as I'm putting the boot into the current Tories here, just because they deserve it, I want to put the care home crisis in a wider context. Like, even if we could go back to January 2020 with a decent plan and better resources, it might not have been enough. Even if Corbyn got in, it still might have been fucked. Now, the reason I didn't open with that and opened with a screed at Johnson & Co is because I don't want to excuse any of the shit show that they are to blame for. There's one thing you can point to at the moment and say, look, there's something the Tories did for care homes. It's the £3.2 billion they've pumped into care homes in the past two months. That's a lot, 3.2 billion pounds is a lot of money. But that happened over the last two months, the two months where all these people were dying. Where did that money go? Well, I don't exactly know, but I do know some other relevant stuff that might enable us to guess. Social care, like healthcare or education, is a vital public service. People need to be cared for, for lots of reasons. But a big one is the guaranteed process of aging the passage of time. It's happening right now. Care work is work that requires compassion as well as expertise, people with a commitment to their work as a vocation. Now, if you're listening to Mandos, I know you're thinking, this sounds like a problem with one solution, Jack, the market. Now, there's never been a proper nationalized care system, but in 1979, 64% of care home beds were provided by the NHS or local authorities. By 2012, that was down to 6%. Privatisation started under Thatcher in the 1980s and continued since. This has created the current system in social care where private providers are able to profit from providing poor quality care. Imagine yourself as a capitalist. You buy up a care home and you're guaranteed income because people are always going to need care. And what's even better, a lot of it will be paid for by the government. That's guaranteed income. But if you're a smart capitalist, you don't just look at that income. You think, what can that let me do? Build up shed loads of debt. Because for you, a capitalist, care homes don't have value in their use. Care. They have value as an asset. You can use a care home as collateral to rack up a big load of debt. You can sell it onto someone else, even though it's got all this debt with it, because of guaranteed future revenues. There's no point in investing to improve the care home or improve the service you're providing because you're not interested in the long-term value of the asset, just how much debt you can quickly build up on it for short-term profit. As well as having no shortage of uh, customers, women and migrants are overrepresented doing work that's labelled as unskilled on casualised contracts. This helps you drive down wages, which in turn pushes up profits. Before the pandemic hit, smirking enemy of the working class and UK Home Secretary Priti Patel set out how the UK was going to TAKE BACK CONTROL of its immigration policy. The point system she proposed would have excluded this care home workforce as UNSKILLED. (laughs) Yeah, people who are now in the pandemic crisis labelled by government documents as essential. That UNSKILLED label came about partly because the definition of skilled kind of meant highly paid which care workers are not. Even worse, one in four care workers wouldn't be able to come up with the guaranteed income to demonstrate their skilled status because they're on zero-hour contracts. Little side note here, maybe we should value labour for its social value rather than its perceived skill or how much they get paid. More than 1,000 UK care homes are owned and run by offshore investment companies. And these companies, even before the crisis, were lobbying the government for more funding. And Germany on the left, we'd support that, right? We would agree, we'd be like, oh yeah, we want more funding for care homes, but where does that money go and what's it used for? A lot of care homes make little profit or even losses, but they also pay rent which is part of their losses, to sister companies registered in offshore tax havens. Now, we could do a whole episode on this, but let's just quickly do one, the biggest, HC1 Limited. HC1 Limited made a loss of 6.5 million pounds in 2018, but they paid an estimated 40 million pounds in rent to offshore companies in the same group. So the care home operator HC1 group is ultimately owned by Libra Intermediate, which is based in Jersey, an offshore tax haven, which is in turn owned by FC Skyfall LP, which is based in the Cayman Islands, an offshore tax haven. HC1 has actively lobbied government to increase care home funding because they say so many care homes are facing financial ruin. But over the last two years, HC1 has also paid out more than £48.5 million in dividends. Privatising care homes has taken caring for vulnerable people and made it an asset, a source of profit, something for vampiric corporations to suck money out of. Because they're driven by profit, they aren't interested in better care. If anything, they want care workers to have a terrible time. They want them poorly paid. They want them on zero-hours contracts. They want them to burn out and be easily replaceable. Why? So they're less organised, they cost less, and profits go up. It's easy to see how the market is maybe not a source for good when we see how increasing the living wage has caused problems for the care industry. So many of the workers in care homes are so poorly paid that the Tory increase in what they call the living wage ate into care home profits. It ate into their ability to pay off the debt they'd racked up. The four big UK care home operators, Four Seasons, Barchester Healthcare, Care UK and HC1, have debts of £40,000 per care home bed. They are paying an overall average rate of 12% interest on total debts of £2.2 billion. And that was in 2019, before the pandemic, before the Tories put £3.2 billion into care homes over the last two months. Before, at current estimates, over 7,000 people died in UK care homes. Care work is essential work, and always has been. Care work is skilled work, and always has been. We need to have full solidarity with care workers. And this doesn't just mean getting them PPE. It means paying them properly. It means decent contracts. It means taking care out of the hands of vampire capitalists who since Thatcher have taken over something that should be run for social good and should not be a machine to funnel government money or the money of families bankrupting themselves to ensure dignity for their loved ones to offshore tax havens and hedge funds. The current government has fucked this up in the short term and they have got blood on their clapping hands but this does not absolve the previous governments who let the vampires in. Mandatory Redistribution Party was created and produced by Shaw Morley and Jack Evans. Our title theme was created by Ella Jean. Additional music from Italian Baroque composer Antonio Vivaldi absolutely fucked into the dirt by me and some synthesizers. Uh, as it is 3.15am and I'm awake, I'm going to recommend Tiredness Kills from the Delightful Sausage, a podcast I am sausaged to produce. Hopefully see you on that Mando's live stream, Friday 22nd of May. Stay safe.